So jumping back into our sermon series this summer, we're kind of doing a topical series on this big question, a really important question that we all need to understand, we all need to know, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Without a doubt, the most important question that you need to know in life is, what is the gospel? And we start out by saying that the gospel is good news. That's what it means. It means it's good news. And what's the good news about, right? So when someone says to you, hey, awesome, we have good weather, why do we say good weather? Because at times there's bad weather, right? You know, and so we contrast good weather to the bad weather we have, right? So the good news is good news because there was bad news. And it all begins with the story of how God made everything perfect. It was great, and he declared it to be good. But when our first father, Adam and Eve, partake of the fruit that God forbidden, sin entered the world, and it created a domino effect that rippled through all of history and all through creation, in which every single one of us have been born, and we have chosen, and we have sinned. And because God is our creator, and he has rights over us, and because he's holy, and he's righteous, and he is other than humans, he has every right to punish us for our sin, to put us under his wrath, to send us to eternal conscious punishment, which we call hell. But God in his love provided his own son, came down to earth, came a man, lived the perfect life which we can never live. He died on the cross as a substitute that for those who were to believe would put their faith in him, his perfect righteousness would be accredited to them and their guilty conscience would be put onto Jesus on the cross. And so now for those who are trusting in Christ, God no longer sees your imperfections. He no longer sees the hell bound that you are. He no longer sees all the mistakes and the bad thoughts in your head. He sees you through a lens. He sees you to the person of his son, and he sees you as perfect and righteous. And it's good news, because we once were lost, we once were in danger, we once were enemies of God, but now we are saved, we are born again for those who are to believe. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about. I know we took a little break there, but we talked about God, we talked about sin, we talked about redemption in Christ, we talked about response, that the only response isn't to say, oh yeah, that's really cool. The only response isn't just to say, like, oh, yeah, I kind of believe that in my head. But it's to have a full-fledged belief and faith and repentance from our sins to trust in Christ. And so what I want to do tonight is actually I want to take one of the messages I preached in Africa. And because it's so relevant to our series, I want us to start thinking about this gospel message that we've been talking about week in and week out. What are we to do with it? What are the results of the gospel? What are the things that should change us for those who are truly trusting in Christ, repenting from their sins, having faith in the gospel message? There should be a change in us. And so one of the things I want to start off with is simply we should preach it. We should want to talk about it. We should tell it to others. And so this leads me, guys, going to be honest, to one of maybe the most important passages in the New Testament. If the Bible is a mountain range, it's one of the highest peaks, right? And the passage we're looking at today, really, in a lot of ways, is kind of Paul's summary of the entire book of Romans. And so what I want to do is I want to read Romans 1, starting in verse 14, read just a few verses, pray, and spend our time considering how the gospel causes us to want to preach it. I want to preach it. So let me read this passage for us. Romans 1, starting in verse 14. 
I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before this portion of your word, we just ask that you would help us to see the ways in which we have fallen short. Lord, I pray that through this passage of scripture, you would help us to see just how important it is that we believe the gospel. Just how important it is that we tell others about the gospel. For in the good news of Jesus, your righteousness is revealed. For in this good news about Jesus, the power of God is revealed. So Father, I pray that through my feeble words, your word would speak like a roaring lion. Help us to have faith and to trust that every single word you have said is true. We pray this all in your wonderful son's name, Jesus. Amen. When I was in the eighth grade, I remember finally getting this this point in my faith where my entire life I've heard pastors, my parents, my youth leaders tell me things like, we should tell others about Jesus, right? I remember even as a kid singing Christmas songs, go tell it on the mountain, for the hill and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain, yeah, you know, whatever. But what's that song all about? Well, yeah, it's, it's about that, but <laughs> namely that we go and tell it, right? It's, it's, I mean, honestly, guys, can I tell you, that's like one of the main um, components of being evangelical is that we care about sharing our faith. And so in the eighth grade, I finally was old enough to kind of not to realize that they're actually talking at me and not just everyone else, right? And so my youth pastor was like, we should go share our faith with our friends, invite our friends to youth group. And so finally, it came to the eighth grade, and I was walking home from school, and I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share my faith with my friend Brad. Brad was my best friend, didn't go to church, nice as can be, and I just asked him like a question out of the blue. Hey, Brad, do you, do you believe in God? And he kind of looks at me like, where's this coming from? We're talking about skateboarding, now you're talking about God. And he knew that I was a Christian. He knew that I went to youth group. He knew that I went to church. And he kind of just ignored that part of my life. And he's like, dude, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, who doesn't believe in God, right? Sure. And I kind of started asking him a little bit more. And he started getting a little defensive. And, and I just said, hey, Brad, like, you know, I'm not trying to, like, you know, be up in your face. But I just really think that you should care about this stuff. He's like, listen, dude. Sure, I believe in God, but this whole idea about, like, a dead man coming back to life, like, do you really believe that stuff, dude? Like, come on, man. Like, you're better than that. Like, this stuff is, like, you Christians are all about rules and this and that. And he just kind of starts, like, laying the heat on me, right? Now, I have, I've done no research of how to defend my faith. I don't know verses in the Bible. I just know that Jesus loves me, died for my sins. You should believe that, too, right? Um, and I just remember 
getting flushed in the face. My, my voice started getting weak. I kind of got nervous in my stomach. And I said to myself, I will never do this again. I'll never share my faith again with someone. That was like the worst experience. As a matter of fact, it got worse the next day at the bus stop. Aaron over here is trying to tell me about Jesus, and everyone's looking at me like, you know, what's up with Aaron, you know, being all weird. It's almost as if they could tolerate me being a Christian if I just keep it over there. Don't bring it up over here, though. If you want to go to youth group on Sunday night, yeah, sure. But when we're hanging out, let's keep that Jesus stuff out of it. And it took me a few years for me to really begin to understand that fear and that hesitancy of actually wanting to talk to someone about Jesus, wanting to share the gospel with someone. And if I can go back to my little 14-year-old self, 13, I don't know how old I was, this is the passage I'd want him to read. If I had one main point I want to get across to you, here it is. We should be eager to preach the gospel because it has the power to save anyone who believes. We should be eager to preach the gospel because it has the power to save anyone who believes. Another way of saying that is that since the gospel has the power to save anyone who believes, we should preach it. We should tell people. We should be eager to tell people that you are in peril, you are in danger, but if you believe in this, there's power for you to be saved. And what Paul does in this small little passage is he gives us three reasons of why you, even as a high schooler, should be eager to preach the gospel. Three reasons why you should be eager to preach the gospel. Let's start with the first one. The gospel is for everyone. Why preach the gospel? Because it is for everyone. Look at verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, I'll start with that first phrase. I am under obligation. Now, sometimes, if you are under obligation to something, if you are being forced to do something, you don't always want to do it, right? I know some of you are probably like, when your mom gives you chores, maybe you do it, but everything about your facial expression lets the room know that you don't really want to do it. There should be some more head nodding here, right? I've seen some of you like, I'll do it. I'm doing it. But I want you to know I don't want to do this, right? I, I, it's, I always laugh when people, I give them something to do. Like, I'm going to do this for you, but I just want you to know that I'm taking one for the team. I don't want to do this, right? And that's kind of what people might think. Paul's like, I am under obligation. I have to go and preach the gospel. That doesn't really sound like the Apostle Paul. Let's look at the context for a little bit here. Go ahead and scroll up your eyes to verse 1. Paul, a servant, which really the word is slave, doulos, not the kind of slave you would think of, but, you know, servant might be a more easy translation. A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now listen to this. Set apart for the gospel of Say it. God. First point, it's God's gospel. It's God's news. It isn't Paul's news. He isn't making it up. But he has been commissioned. He has this calling to go and to preach the gospel. Now, here's the thing. If I owe Noah here $1,000, 
I am under obligation. Literally, that idea in verse 14, under obligation, is the actual idea that I am in a debt. I am under a debt. Now, here's the thing. If I owe Noah $1,000, that's kind of like that oppressive obligation thing that we talked about. (sighs) But if Tyler says, Aaron, I'm not going to see Noah for some time. I owe him $1,000. Here it is. Go and give it to him. The obligation for me isn't so much that I have to, but it's actually I'm just kind of being the the middleman. I'm just being the person who's bringing it. And that's the kind of obligation that Paul's under. He is being commissioned. It is not his burden. He is resting in the sovereignty of God. But there is something that he says in this obligation, in this debt, that isn't something that he has to. It goes to all people. Look what he says. He gives two comparisons here. You got the Greeks and the barbarians. You have the wise and you have the foolish. If the Greeks represent the sophisticated, cultured, sipping and smelling their wine, have all the literature and all the stories and speak really well and are you know, very highly educated, and the barbarians, where literally the term came from bar, 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 which was making fun of the way people talked, uneducated you know, out in, you know, the people who probably live out in Tenino and Rochester and... I'm kidding, right? No. I'm, come on, this is a joke, right? But, you know, Paul is making a comparison here to the people who are high up in society and to the people who are not. To the people who are wise and well-esteemed and well-thought of and even to the foolish, even to the criminals, even to those who are lowly. I have an obligation. I have a debt. To preach the gospel. We should preach the gospel because it's it's for all people. Point your eyes over there. We should pray for those people over there because we have an obligation to them. You have an obligation to your next door neighbor to your friends at school, to your friends in the sports teams, to people you work with, to your own family members. To preach the gospel. Now you think for a second, okay, Paul uses that word in verse 15, to preach. Yo, I ain't no preacher. That's your job, homie. I'm just a wee little, you know, ninth grader. Uh, Let me just say something. You know, that, that word to preach, really all it means is to declare, to proclaim. And Paul here gives us a great picture into his heart. The gospel is for all people. I I have an obligation, not not just to my friends, but to every person. And you know, I, I know what it's like in high school. You find your little group, find the people you feel comfortable with, and you kind of hang out in there. And you know, maybe there's some wisdom in that, but but I just think there's a sense in which when you understand the gospel, when you understand that this is truly salvation from sin and from death and from God's wrath, we should desire to see the gospel go to all the nations. Like, you know what? My wife and I, we don't make a lot of money. But we have a lot of friends from Bible college, friends from here, friends from our childhood who said, you know what? We believe that God is calling us to go to Asia. 
But God is calling us to go to Japan. But God is calling us to go to Pakistan. Czech Republic. There's all these friends, these missionaries that we support financially because they understand this obligation that we must take the gospel to all people. To people who look and talk like us. But even to the tribal people in Papua New Guinea, right? But another interesting thing that Paul says here, look at verse 15, really important observation. When you, when you read your Bible, make observations. Notice what he says. Look at verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, why is that such an important observation? Paul says, I'm eager to preach to all people, you know, Greeks, barbarian, you know, foolish, wise, but also to you. Now, let's look at the context again, right? Look at verse 7. Who is he writing his letter to? To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Do you think the people that are originally getting this letter based on verse 7, do you think they're Christians already? I think so. Yes. Then why is it that Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you? Because what if, what if the gospel is not just for evangelism, but also for discipleship? Every single week when we come here, our, our, our goal and our aim is to preach the passage, but also to show how it relates to Jesus and to his gospel. To every single week, not just give you some moralism, how to be a better person, but to show us more and more and more how the good news of the gospel is actually good. What are the implications of the gospel? And I just love that point. In verse 15, Paul is eager to preach the gospel to Christians. The gospel is really what we just want more of. Some people think that the gospel is the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's kind of like that, that little VBS prayer. It's that, that, that little entrance into the kingdom. And now the, the rest of the kingdom is all about going and doing things, right? And, and, and that's not true. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It is just more of understanding Jesus' life, more of his death, more of his resurrection, more of our sinfulness, more of who God is. And that is how we grow. And so why, why should we preach the gospel? Why should I make it a point for you guys to know that if you were to trust in Christ and to have him as your Lord and as your Savior, why you should preach the gospel? Because it is for all people. God did not intend this good news just to be for those living in Olympia, Washington, or just the people in this church, or people who go to church. It's for all. But the second reason why we should preach the gospel is that it is the power of God. Look what he says really quick in verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel. The logical question that should come out of that is why? Why are you eager to preach it? Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why am I not ashamed of it? For it is the power of God. Paul here doesn't shy away from this gospel. He's eager. He's excited. He wants to come to Rome. He wants to go all over the world to preach this gospel. You know, there are a lot of people back then, in Rome especially, who would have thought that Christians and Paul were simpletons. You believe in one God? 
And more than that, you believe in a God that became a man? And this man, he died by the Romans and even by his own people? They didn't even reject, accept him? Really? Look at all the panting of gods we have. You could just choose any god you want. All of our gods, they're enthroned above. But when your god comes as a man and dies a horrible death, what? That's why Paul says the cross is a stumbling block. The cross where Jesus, the God of all life, sat there beaten and broken and bloody and bruised. Paul says, I'm I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I notice the same trend in our day and age. It's really easy to go on a mission trip and to talk about with your unbelieving friends or unbelieving family about, oh, I got to serve in an orphanage. I got to build a house for someone. I got to do some really good tangible needs. Ah, oh, that's great. That's great. Talk about a bloody man on a cross. I don't want to hear it. You know, my wife and I, we realized on Good Friday, we were singing a bunch of songs. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Realizing, this sounds crazy to people. A fountain filled with blood? The cross really is foolishness. It doesn't make sense to the world. They don't want to hear it. And, and, and to go on, to, to make, make a point for a second, the gospel, the, the message that I shared earlier about God making everything good, but sin entering the world, but Christ coming down as a substitute, dying for our sins, for those who are to trust and believe in him, they receive that righteousness. Let me tell you, that is a binary message. What do I mean by that? It is either you are all in or you are not. There is no lukewarm or I kind of like that. That is either, that is my salvation, that I stand in that crucified body and that Jesus who rose from the dead. That is my salvation. That is my everything. That is what I am banking on. Jesus dying on the cross for me. It is the cross that is at the center of our faith. And so we, 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 I hear sometimes people talk about the Christian faith in terms of Jesus as Lord. And that's all I want to say. Or I hear people talk about uh, the story of the Bible is, is um, you know, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And, and it really turns into just a movement of people trying to do a lot of good things on earth. The creation care and working for justice. But let me just tell you right now, the gospel, the center of it is the cross. And Paul is not ashamed of it. I was ashamed of it. It's still hard. It's much easier to talk about just some nice little things that we do. It's much easier to talk about the theoretical things about the Christian faith. But when you bring the cross right back into the center of it, people don't want to hear it. But why should we not be ashamed of it? Why should we be eager to preach this? 
He goes on, he says, for it is namely the gospel. It is the power of God. Power of God for what? For salvation, to be saved. You know, when, when I was in Kenya a few weeks ago, there was just no light pollution. I looked up and just stars and stars and stars. And, you know, there's some beautiful parts of the country eating an orange right off the tree. And I just sit there and I think, man, God is so big, so powerful. But you want to know something? The Bible never once mentions God's power in relation to his creation. The Bible never once mentions God's power in relation to him crushing his enemies. The Bible never once mentions his power in any other thing except for one thing. The gospel. If you want to know the heart of God, the character of God, the justice of God, the love of God, the holiness of God, right here at the cross, the gospel. And so Paul says, listen, we should be eager to preach this gospel because one, it's for all people, but two, because it has the power to save people. Because it is the only way. Because the Muslim Jesus cannot save you. Because the Mormon Jesus cannot save or atone for your sins. Because no other Jesus, no other heretical Jesus can save you. Only the Jesus of the gospel, Jesus of the Bible, has the power to save you. But not just anyone. To everyone who believes. It's a universal invitation that you right now can choose to, to believe in this Jesus, to say, Jesus, I, I am a sinner. I, I have rebelled against you in every single way. If you are not a Christian, this is what it means to become a Christian. That you confess your treason. You confess your rebellion. You confess your sin. And all you have ever done is sin. But you realize that Jesus has come for you. That he lived the life that you can never live. That he died on the cross to take away the punishment for your sin. And now by trusting in him, you turn away from your sin. You make him your allegiance. You make him the center of your life. And you follow him. And by doing so, you become born again. You receive the forgiveness of sins. You become adopted. You, be, you have entrance into the kingdom of God. Anyone who believes, not just for the Jew, but also for the Greek. You guys, it's really easy to talk in really broad ways about our relationship with God. It's really easy to kind of just mention a few good things that we do with Jesus. But do you ever find yourself ashamed of this gospel? You're afraid that maybe someone thinks that you're weird or uneducated or dumb because you believe in spiritual things, because you believe in a creator, because you believe that salvation of all men relies in the death of a Jewish man. Paul's not, because it has power. Literally, that word power, Greek word dunamis, where we get dynamite. It's the dynamite of God. So, I don't want to get to my conclusion yet, one more point, but 
But here really is the message. If the gospel has power to save, preach it, tell it, share it. Being part of this work, the missionary work of God, is the greatest work that you'll ever embark on. Maybe the hardest, maybe the toughest, but the greatest. Yes, Christians, we care about injustices, we care about the world, but first and foremost, we put the cross centered. We preach the gospel because it is the power of God. Thirdly, we preach the gospel because it reveals the righteousness of God. Verse 17, for in it, namely the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So preach the gospel because it reveals the righteousness of God. Now, people think this can mean either one or two things, and I think it means both. So one, the righteousness of God can either be that it's revealing the character quality of God, his righteousness, that in the gospel we see his righteous character and that he loves people and that he's calling people to salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, or that the gospel reveals the righteousness which we get by believing in the gospel. Like I mentioned, when we have trust and faith in Jesus, we receive his perfect righteousness. And so really, what I think, I, I think Paul might have both in mind. That the gospel, this good news about Jesus, reveals the heart of God and his righteous character, but also it reveals a righteousness of how we can be saved. You know, in the song Cornerstone, which is, I think, originally the, the hymn on Christ the Solid Rock, the last verse always kind of just pulls my heart a little bit. And it talks about that last day, right? Only at being clothed in the righteousness of Christ can we be made right. A little spillage? Now, let me tell you why, why in that song that, that always gets me. Because here's where I'm finally coming to the point where I'm realizing that it is truly only in that righteousness where I can stand before God and not be ashamed and be accepted. And let me tell you why that's so hard sometimes for me to sing. Because it's so vulnerable. It is literally saying this is... I am standing only on this and nothing else before a holy God. And although I believe it is true, it is, it is literally shredding away any confidence I have in myself. It is literally standing before a cliff a hundred miles wide deep to your instant death. But having that trust and that faith that the righteousness of Christ will save you. And this is what the gospel reveals. The only way that you can be made right with God is through the righteousness of Christ. It is so tempting for us as humans to think that God is going to be okay with me if I just do a few good things, if I try my best, if in my heart I mean well. That is not what the Bible teaches. It is only through this righteousness. And this righteousness, look what he says, is revealed from faith for faith. Now, this is also a tricky little thing to understand. Some people think that it means that the righteousness of God is revealed from God's faithfulness 
for our faith, or it could just be Paul using a Greek idiomatic phrase of just meaning faith through and through. That really the gospel reveals God's righteousness and it is believed faith through and through. That's why he quotes the prophet Habakkuk chapter 2, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I've talked about this a little bit already and I, and I used this illustration a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again because I think it's the best illustration I have. And if it's a good one, I'm going to use it again. Uh, I was teaching my daughter how to swim. And I was in the pool. I said, Millie, come jump. Jump, Millie. No. No. I'm like, Millie, it's okay. Jump. No, Denta. <laughs> I was like, babe, I'm going to catch you. I got you. I'm going to catch you. Right? And she jumps in. Her. She realized she didn't die. She's like, again. Put her back out. Then it's just like, you know, like belly. Then she's just like kind of just falling in the pool, not even jumping, and it's like this awkward little thing. And just for the next 20 minutes, like we're in a swim class, like a bunch of other parents, supposed to be doing all these songs, and she's just like, I want to like all she would want to do is just keep jumping in. So like these people are like singing songs, and I'm just sitting here paying. <laughs> To have my kid just jump in the pool, whatever. Two days later, we come back for swim lessons. And uh, I think I'm just getting ready or something like that. And she walks close to the edge of the pool. And we're just kind of watching her. I was like, that kid's going to jump. You know. She looks in. She stands back. She's looking for me. Her confidence to jump in the water was not based in her ability that she could save herself. But she jumps in with the confidence that her father will care for her, protect her, and catch her. The whole Christian life is a picture of that. That we jump in, we have faith, we trust, we believe that God will catch us. That trusting in Christ means that I do not for a second look to myself in any way to help me. But faith really is the idea that I depend and I rely on God and God alone. And so this is why we preach. Because by trusting and believing in Christ, we may receive our righteousness. Or we are clothed in it. For God once had to clothe Adam and Eve because of their sin, he now clothes us in the righteousness of his son. And so it's tempting to live the Christian life, to go day by day, haphazardly. Maybe we mean well. Maybe we're just ignorant. Maybe some of us are fearful. Maybe some of us have our own doubts about this gospel. Maybe some of us are just need to be told, need to be reminded, need again to be heard that since the gospel 
has the power to save anyone who believes, we should preach it. Preach it because it is for all people. Preach it because it has power. It has power. Preach it because it reveals a righteousness that is received by faith. And maybe some of you have a story just like mine. And if I can go back to little Aaron, say, hey, yeah, it's tough, it's tough, it's tough. But this gospel, oh, it could save people. And it could save you. Trust in it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of this. It has power. It could save you. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that when we are tempted to be ashamed of this message, we'd be reminded that it, in fact, has power, that it is good. And, Father, I just pray for the students in this room, Lord. I pray that it would not be their burden. They would not feel this obligation in a sense that they have to, but, Lord, but rather that they would feel commissioned and called to go and preach, to proclaim a message of foolishness, but yet a message of power, that Christ died and he triumphantly rose again from the dead, and that whosoever believes in this shall have eternal life. Good news, Lord. Help us to believe it. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.